You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Burn that film. Folks, that's all I really know to say after an ugly but ultimately successful Rockets game on Thursday night at Toyota Center. Welcome in to Lockdown Rockets, your home for post-game analysis of everything going on with Houston Rockets basketball. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790. Ultimately, Thursday evening at Toyota Center, one, one of the more forgettable games of the entire year for the Rockets. They did get the win, fortunately, 196 in overtime against the Detroit Pistons. Rockets improving to 58-14 and 14 on the season, now 28-2 and two in their last 30 games, which is just absurd. Pistons falling to 32-40. and 40. Rockets still remain five games up, effectively considering the loss column and the tiebreakers over both the Warriors and the Raptors in the battle for the NBA's best record and home court advantage. Throughout the playoffs, Rockets with a 58, 58th win also tie the all-time franchise record for wins in a season, which they can break Saturday night against New Orleans the next game, and it's pretty it's a virtual certainty that they will because the Rockets still have 10 games left to play on this season, and it might be a painful 10 games if they continue like this, but there are a few reasons why I think this is a one-off, and that's why, in my opinion, this post-game Lockdown Rockets recap. It's going to be one of our shorter episodes because I think the Rockets are not going to get, see a lot out of this game that they take. In my opinion, it's one in which you happily take the win and move on because certainly it's not indicative of the level of play that we saw on the road trip when they won at New Orleans, at Minnesota, and at Portland. It was a sluggish atmosphere from the jump, but ultimately they found a way to get the win. And at this stage in the year when you're just trying to get to the playoffs and secure that number one seed, that's really all that matters. Now, there were some injury-related issues in this game. Chris Paul sat out, combination of rest and minor left hamstring soreness that we saw at the end of the game in Portland. The Rockets said they were planning on resting him this weekend anyway, so I think they just bumped that up, and they did say they anticipated his return this weekend. So as with James Harden a week ago when he sat out that game in Dallas, it's not an injury you need to worry about if they know the return date going into it. That's at least 50% rest, maintenance, whatever you want to call it. So I'm not overly concerned about Chris Paul, the one thing to watch, Luke Bamute did leave after just seven minutes, seven largely effective minutes. He shot three or four from the field, made a three in there, seven points in his seven minutes in the first half, left with a sore knee, did not return. The good news, if there is any, they did not diagnose it as a sprain. That's when you worry when you hear about a knee sprain, you're talking about ligaments, general soreness. You never know. Brandon Wright has not been seen in three weeks now, and he has knee soreness, so you can never say never, but in general, it's not a diagnosis that, unless it's an older player with injury, injury history that typically is all that bad. So I think they'll wait and see how he responds. But the Rockets are at a point in the standings, up five games with 10 to play, where they can be cautious if they need to. The only thing you have to worry about is if it's a longer injury that even two or three weeks can't heal. And ultimately, I don't really see that being the case with Luke. But I would suggest just stay tuned. We'll see what happens, assuming they have practice tomorrow at Friday, and then, of course, the two games over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. So just stay tuned. They did seem to be proactive, removing him almost immediately, not letting him play in the second half. So hope for the best on that front, but my guess is you don't really know much about him for another day or two until we see how that knee responds to whatever treatment they give him. As far as the guys who did play tonight, 
Eric Gordon had 22 points. He led the team in scoring. James Harden had 21. I'm going to start by discussing Harden. Gordon, of course, filled in for Chris Paul in the starting lineup. I'm going to start by discussing Harden because he had an absolutely dreadful regulation of this game. 2 of 16 from the field, 11 points. He also missed 5 free throws, although 2 of them came in the last 2 seconds of overtime when the game is long over, so we can discount those. But 2 of 16 for James Harden, the league's MVP lock, it's not a good game. What happened, I think it's a combination of a lot of issues. I think in general, there were a lot of tired legs. It's often said that when you come off a stretch like the 3 and 4, all on the road, all the plane travel that the Rockets had, it's actually the first game when you come back home that's the most dangerous in terms of the tiredness catching up with you because many times you're on the road, you get adrenaline to kind of power through, and especially that atmosphere in Portland, so charged on Tuesday night, they played through it. This felt like the game, the first one at home, where the tired legs were an even bigger factor than they were on the road. There were also quite a few issues with attendance, usual Thursday traffic, that's the worst rush hour day of the week, fans were late, also flash seats was down, lots of fans had trouble getting into the building, so just so many factors, and not the least of which, of course, the Detroit Pistons are just not a very sexy, not a very good or exciting basketball team, just a general lethargic vibe, the Rockets having played three out of four on the road, no Chris Paul, and then Luke Bamute exits early, so the rotation's a little short to begin with, and Harden, for whatever reason, did not have that extra gear. The upside, I actually view this as more of a glass half full, with James Harden in particular, than I do a glass half empty, because it's the type of game Harden did pick up a tee. It seemed like the Pistons throughout the game were closing out very hard on him, in some cases borderline dirty. Blake Griffin was assessed a flagrant early in the third quarter for closing out and essentially leaving Harden no room to land. They were allowed to play very physical on drives. Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin on the interior mentioned the the shots from the perimeter. It seemed like they were closing out ultra hard, and Harden, even though he got to the free throw line 18 times, it was the kind of brutal game. This was essentially a 1990s game, tied at 88 after four quarters. Fittingly, the last possession of regulation, Harden went hard to the rim. It got shoved twice by Andre Drummond, did not get a call on either occasion. So even though Harden went to the line 18 times, A, it's a little misleading because he got four free throws late in overtime when the game was over in the final minutes, intentional fouling, and B, the 14 free throws came over the course of basically 53 minutes, regulation plus overtime. It wasn't like Harden was just being bailed out all the time. If anything, there were calls, especially the first three quarters, that he was not getting. He was very frustrated. And the reason I look at it as sort of a glass half full, it would have been completely understandable if Harden had checked out. 2 of 16, 11 points, yet to his credit, he didn't. In overtime, he made two of his first three shots, made all of his free throws until the last two, but it ultimately didn't matter in the last two seconds, and the Rockets up by four, and Harden in overtime, 10 points, 50% shooting, made his free throws when they mattered, and even though Harden could not throw it in the ocean from three tonight, 0 of 8, at the same time, in overtime, even without the three-point shot, he made plays off the dribble, had the incredible three-point play on the move, made the free throw as well when the game was tied at 90 with just a couple of minutes left. He had a mid-range shot in there from 16 feet, and then, not counting the final two free throws, which were completely irrelevant, he made the free throws when he had to. So even in the game that Harden was not getting the calls, he didn't have his three-point stroke, clearly his legs weren't there, there were a lot of reasons that he could have disengaged. He didn't. And actually, I didn't even mention one of the key plays on the other side when the Rockets were not able to score in overtime. He actually stripped Blake Griffin clean at the rim when Griffin was elevating for a layup or dunk. 
So if there's one critique you can point to over the course of James Harden's career, it's the blank nights. It's been nights in which, and of course Game 6 against the Spurs a year ago being a prime example, and I'm certainly not comparing the Detroit Pistons led by Blake Griffin to those San Antonio Spurs, but I think we've seen it more than that game too, the Spurs just being the first one that always comes to mind. But there have been games in which if Harden's not getting the calls he thinks he deserves, if his jump shot isn't there, if his legs aren't there, that it feels like the effort goes with that, that he just disengages too easily and said, says, this is not our night. Tonight, despite 2 of 16, maybe the worst shooting night of his career, he didn't let it happen. He kept pushing, and in overtime, he was the guy that took them home. Would have been great if they did it in regulation. The Rockets were, what, up 9 to 5 minutes ago, and then the only field goal they got the rest of the way was on a goal 10 with 30 seconds left on a tip-in from P.J. Tucker that may or may not have even been going in. So, a very ugly game. And it took until overtime, but James Harden, 21 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, just 20% shooting, 4 of 20. But again, he made 50% of his shots in overtime, did get to the free throw line 18 times, made 13 of those. Certainly not going to say it was a great game for James because it wasn't. Certainly not going to say it proves his MVP lock status because it's the rest of the season that proves that. But what I will say is that if, if you're one of those people that has doubts, lingering things in the back of your mind about James's mentality... This, in my opinion, was a more mature James Harden. He kept pushing, and ultimately, despite an incredibly ugly game, he didn't have lift, wasn't getting calls, shots weren't falling for his teammates. At the same time, he kept playing, and overtime had 10 points, had a big play defensively, and ultimately the Rockets got an incredibly ugly 196 win, improving to 58-14 and on the season. Now, Harden was the story in overtime, and rightfully so. But as crazy as it sounds, even against the Detroit Pistons team that scored just 88 points and is 32 and 40 in the year, you wouldn't even have gotten to overtime without Eric Gordon. 22 points, 5 assists, 8 of 19 shooting, made 3 three-pointers, and was a plus 14 in his 42 minutes. He had to do a lot of heavy lifting tonight without Chris Paul and effectively without Eric Gordon, I mean without uh, James Harden as well for most of regulation, at least in terms of the level of respect James usually commands, and Eric offsets that. It's one of those flashback Eric Gordon games in which he reminds you that, yes, he is capable of stepping up into a higher role if you need him to. That's always nice to see that you have that kind of flexibility at the number three or number four guy. You know, he's 1A, 1B when it comes to your variables, your next options after the obvious James Harden and Chris Paul. He's right up there with Clint Capella. So, to see Eric be able to step up like that, even when just three of his shots were behind the arc, that actually shows you that he was 5 of 10 inside, made plays off the dribble, had five assists. So it was kind of reminiscent of the start to the year. Remember when Chris Paul was out earlier this season, we saw Eric Gordon so much better than we anticipated as a facilitator? And it was kind of because he had to be. There was such a playmaking void in the absence of Chris Paul that Eric Gordon had to step up into that. Well, it was a reminder that that's still in his toolbox, because in addition to his 22 points, which in the plus 14 and the plus minus, he stepped in seamlessly. Don't think you'd like to see him play 42 minutes in the place of Chris Paul, but between overtime, which adds five minutes to everyone, and and then Luke Bamute exiting early, it's one of those that just happens, and fortunately the Rockets have a day off tomorrow they can recoup before the weekend back-to-back home against uh, New Orleans and Atlanta. So Eric, I would say over the balance of the first 48 minutes, he was definitely your standout. 
Clint Capella, won't say it was a great game for him, but he 10 points, 14 boards. He was a minus 11 against Andre Drummond, but Clint did have 14 rebounds in 29 minutes. Now, Drummond had 20, but Clint was at least competitive. And on a night the Rockets were out-rebounded 66-52, to 52, Clint getting 14 was the only way that you were even able to hang in. P.J. Tucker and James Harden each had eight. Again, that goes back to what we were saying about James. He wasn't disengaged. Tucker had a couple of big tips late. But in general, outside of Eric Gordon, outside of James Harden in overtime, there's not a whole heck of a lot of positives you can find out of this game. I suppose the bench, Joe Johnson plus 12, Gerald Green plus 15, Ryan Anderson plus 12, each playing 30, 22, and 20 minutes respectively. So it shows you they played with energy, and on a night like this, the Rockets needed energy more than anything else, and the Pistons shot just 6 of 38, 15% from 3, so it wasn't like they were burning up the nets either. But those guys on the bench, you want to see them hit shots, generally against better teams. You're going to need that kind of floor spacing. Gerald Green, 1 of 9, just 1 of 8 from 3. Most of his weren't even close. Ryan Anderson, 3 of 6. Most of his shots, and I guess one silver lining, he had 7 boards in his 20 minutes and made all 3 of his shots inside the arc. So he was active on the glass, but 0 of 2 from behind the arc. Joe Johnson, 2 of 7. So those 3 guys, a combined 3 of 17 from distance. Trevor Ariza and P.J. Tucker, 5 of 15, although Trevor did have a couple of big threes in the second half. That's about the closest thing to a silver lining that you can get, because on the whole, the Rockets shot just 23% from behind the arc, 12 of 51. Mentioned the Pistons shooting 15.8%, 6 of 38. Just a brutal game, like watching 1990s NBA basketball. And for the Pistons, I think it's who they are. The Rockets, uh, I would not say that certainly it's not who they are, and I don't even think it's necessarily what the Pistons did in terms of taking away their shots, because what's amazing, if you watch this game, and I highly advise that you not do this, by the way, because you'll want to pull your hair out, but so many times down the stretch, Ariza, Tucker, Gerald Green, Joe Johnson, all of these guys had huge, wide, wide open threes that could have been daggers, and yet Every one of them just were not there. A lot of them were short, which I think speaks to the whole tired legs component of the equation. But I think if there's something you want to buy in, I don't think anyone necessarily got discouraged. It wasn't like the Rockets turned the ball over a lot, only 12 times. The ball movement was good. They got open shots offensively. They were a little slower pace, although it's not like they've been the fastest pace in the world for a while now. But I would say especially it looked a little slow tonight, but they got wide open looks. Quite frankly, they just could not find a shooter. And the only guy who it seemed like was able to connect, Luke Bamute, three of four, one of two from behind the arc. As we said, he had to leave after just seven minutes with a sore knee. Certainly a situation where the Rockets effectively locked into the number one seed now are not going to push. So outside of Eric Gordon giving you a reminder that he's not just a shooter, he can be a creator off the bounce, he can create for his teammates, not a whole heck of a lot for the Rockets in terms of the stat column traditional efficiency, what I will say up and down the roster, I think you take more than anything, and it's similar to what we said in the lead segment about Harden, they battled. Even on a night when they had about their D game at best, maybe an F game, no one, it seemed like, other than maybe Gordon, had much at all to give. They kept fighting. You kept getting open looks. Mentioned Ryan Anderson, he could not buy a look from three. Well, he had seven points, seven boards in 20 minutes, and was plus 12 on a couple of big tip-ins. Gerald Green was a plus 15 in 22 minutes, despite shooting just one of eight from behind the arc. Joe Johnson was a plus 12 in his 30 minutes, despite shooting just two of seven 
from behind the arc. And it's because all of those guys, we mentioned Ryan's activity around the rim. He was decent on switches, much better against Portland, although part of it, Detroit decided to have the caliber of guards that Portland did to punish him. Gerald Green continued a recent theme. If you follow me on Twitter, at Ben DuBose, you saw my interview with him about his improving defense. We saw that in the second half in Portland. He said, well, he is more fit than he was in January when he was just coming off the couch, also playing heavier minutes back then. But also, he's more comfortable in the Rockets' scheme now. He knows the playbook, which, believe it or not, that can help you when it comes to uh, playing defense and knowing your assignments. So we saw, even with Gerald not shooting the ball well, he still made a positive impact with his energy. And Joe Johnson, even though his shots were not falling from behind the arc, well, he did have a couple that fell in big moments. But in general, the ball movement was very good with Joe he actually drew a lot of double teams and got guys open shots. Unfortunately, he had zero assists because most of those, well, pretty much all of them, as evidenced by the zero assists, were missed. Also did have a couple of steals. Rockets as a whole had nine steals on the game. And so uh, that's why I would say the Rockets, it's not like they weren't trying. The turnovers were limited. They actually forced the Pistons into 15. The defense was pretty good. Held them just 88 points for the game. Harden made the key strip of Blake Griffin in overtime. So despite all the tired legs despite no one having a game that they're going to want to remember, they kept fighting, they kept battling. And while I'm not going to say you should take anything positive, especially out of it, because it's the Detroit Pistons on a lazy Thursday night in late March, at the same time, I do think that uh, if there's such a thing as hashtag winning NBA, or winning DNA, God, I botched that. But yeah, winning DNA, shout out to my good buddy, Pat Starr at PatDStat on Twitter. Hope everything is going better with him these days. The Rockets showed it. Even at night, they couldn't throw the ball in the ocean. Kept fighting, and ultimately, it was enough to survive in advance, get to 58 and 14 on the year. Final segment of our usual three points recap. Let's discuss the guys that weren't out there. Chris Paul, Luke Bamute. We mentioned them earlier. Chris out due to rest. Luke, a little more concerning since he played and was pulled prematurely. The positive that we learned after the game is... According to Mike D'Antoni, Luke has been battling some tendonitis in that knee, so he could rest for a game or two over the weekend. But that's the best you can hope for, because when you see knee injury, what you fear is some sort of just tweak, which of course can always be a muscle strain or worse, that just acutely happens in a given game because you turn the wrong way or land on it funny. So if it's something nagging that he's been dealing with, then they're aware of it, and it's probably just something that rests can cure, and with the Rockets having the number one seed, up five games with only ten to play, and they're in a position where they can do that. And as we mentioned, Gerald Green's defense has picked up lately. Well, with Luke Bamute out, that makes it all the easier for Gerald Green to get those minutes and hopefully continue to play. Not going to say he's going to give you Luke Bamute impact on defense, because he's certainly not, but if he's going to give you energy at least, then it makes it easier to at least mitigate Luke's absence over the short term. And the other good thing, the schedule does ease up. New Orleans on Saturday's toughest opponent you'll play on the homestand. After that, You've got Atlanta, you've got Chicago, you've got Phoenix. These are games that you certainly do not need to be anywhere near at 100% to win. With Chris, it's the same as James in Dallas. If you're at all worried about the injury, you don't give a return date. It's like Steph Curry in the ankle or Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant and their issues. You don't know when they're going to respond because you're waiting to see how the injury heals. In terms of Chris, yes, we saw him grab at the hamstring a little bit, although then he walked up, shot the two free throws that won the game, in Portland, calmly ended it and didn't even seem to be limping on the way off the floor. Sore hamstrings are something that every NBA player suffers through at various points through the season, and especially ones that are guards that start and stop a lot the way Chris does. 
So if he doesn't say it's overly concerning and the Rockets are confident enough, even with this massive lead, to say he's going to be back this weekend, I'm not that worried about it. I think it's something that, as I said, they were going to rest him anyway. It's just something you do with a 32-year-old player. Unfortunately, credit to the Rockets for them being able uh, to do that more easily based on the lead they have in the standings. Now 58-14 and effectively with that five-game lead in the loss column and counting tiebreakers for the NBA's best record. As far as who rests next, I think it's going to be a game-by-game scenario, but certainly this weekend with the back-to-backs, I think you're probably going to see uh, a couple on both sides of that. I don't think the Rockets... You could see tonight, even with it not going their way, they still very much wanted to win this game. They kept fighting, so I don't think you're going to see it where the Rockets just pick one game to rest four or five players and essentially tank it. I don't think that's what they want to do. And even Atlanta, they won at Utah earlier this week. So it's not like that's a team that's incapable of beating you either. The level of shooting the Rockets had Thursday night, and of course a lot of that's because of the tired legs, but you can lose against almost anybody when you shoot like that. Uh, Even if you're the Rockets at 58 in 14. So I don't think the Rockets are going to have any line changes. I think they're going to cycle players out, and that will include James Harden. I don't have any real concerns about James, other than it was just a bad shooting night, and he's had such a huge workload on all three of the four games on the road trip. He led the Rockets in scoring in all of them, including the 42-point game in Portland on Tuesday night, which effectively sealed up the MVP. I don't think there's anything you need to necessarily worry about, but could he use a day off? Sure. And fortunately, the Rockets are in a position where they can give that to him. So I don't think there's anything imminent where, oh, he has to sit out Saturday, he's nursing an injury. No, this game is hard. And especially if you're dealing with tired legs, you can go through a game where things don't go your way. That you shoot 2 of 16, especially if you're, you're not getting the calls and everyone else is kind of out of sorts. Your passes aren't getting the normal results because your teammates are also missing the threes. The key for James is just the stick to the fact that he kept pushing through those. One final point I'll make on James before we sign off. Could he use a day off? Sure, I'm, there are some tired legs. But in general, tonight's game reminded me a little bit of a conversation we had a few months back when Harden was starting to get to the forefront of the MVP conversation again. Now, pretty much a lock at this stage. But folks are always trying to contextualize what happened for example, in game six last year, and some of these lowlights, for example, the 12 or 13 turnover game he had against the Warriors back in the 2015 Western Conference Finals. And my response to that has always been that for James, he's more prone to clunker games than maybe your regular stars in the NBA, your other upper echelon franchise players, household names, Because James doesn't necessarily have that one transcendent elite physical trait. As we mentioned with Durant, it's the combination of size and shooting. In fact, he's seven foot and moves like a guard. Stephen Curry, the greatest shooter the game has ever seen. Russell Westbrook, the quick twitch muscle fiber. LeBron James, he's built like a human tank. There are these things about them that even if they can't throw it in the ocean, and well, and of course Stephen Curry, he seems especially insulated from that when he's able to play. But with James, he's good across the board in a lot of areas. And Now, it's not that he has no elite physical traits, uh, even on a the hard curve of an upper echelon NBA player. For example, his deceleration, which the Wall Street Journal did a feature on last year, is as good as it gets in the NBA. But you have to go a little bit beneath the radar to see that. In general, if you were to grade NBA players in a lot of categories, shooting, athleticism, defense, you'd give James Harden size... An 8 or 9 out of 10, 
occasionally a seven in a lot of those categories. But you don't really look at James and say, wow, there's that one category that he just dominates. But yet his overall game is MVP worthy, is the best in the game, and it's because of how much, even though his physical skills, I'm not going to say limited, but they may not be Durant or Steph Curry level in terms of just raw physical talent, but he is mentally so sharp that his IQ, how he understands the game, accentuates all of those skills that are already somewhere between 7 to 9 out of 10 to off-the-charts levels. Well, the problem is that if you don't have that one physical trait that you can fall back on, once in a while, you're going to have a clunker because you don't really have that one physical tool in your toolbox that if all else fails, LeBron James is just built like a tank, and even if they foul him, he can still get to the basket no matter what. Steph Curry is probably going to be able to get in a three because he's Steph Curry. Kevin Durant can always shoot over someone because he's seven foot tall. For James Harden, there are always going to be a few moments here and there, and fortunately they've gotten uh, fewer and farther between over the course of his career, where he is not that great. But what you want to see from James is that he sticks with it, and he did tonight, and ultimately he did get enough shots to fall in overtime, did get enough calls as well, that he doesn't essentially take the game off to say, I don't trust the officials, I don't trust my shot, you just have to keep playing, and ultimately over 48 minutes, 53 tonight, more often than not, he's good enough that it's going to turn around, even the sample size of one game. Fortunately, the five extra minutes sample size helped him tonight, ended up with 21, 8, and 5. But the reason I bring up the conversation we had about James early in the year, when we are talking about his elite physical trait, these games have always been there for James. There have always been outlier games like this, they happen fewer and further between now, and, I, and farther between, and I think that's credit to James's evolution as a player, but they still happen, as evidenced by tonight. And the reason I bring it up, it's not just the playoffs, it's that when they happen in the playoffs, it gets blown out of proportion because everyone wants a narrative, everyone wants to explain what happened. No, these games have always been there on rare occasions from James, it's just you don't think about it as much, a random late March game against the Detroit Pistons in a half-filled, sleepy arena. So... On the one hand, I would say credit to James for showing maturity, keeping fighting, and ultimately getting 10 points in overtime, finding a way to get his team to the win. But the other thing, keep this in the back of your mind. If James Harden has a bad playoff game, let's not act like it's a playoff problem. These games happen and have happened in the regular season, too. It's just you don't fixate on them as much. So, uh, fortunately, we haven't had that many of these this year to discuss. Hopefully this is the last one, only 10 games left. But I would just say keep that in mind. It's not like James Harden is the perfect player in the regular season and never has a bad game. He does from time to time, and that's what makes the the whole playoff Harden narrative, some of them so silly, is because we can't even have a real discussion of what's going on with his game because we're trying to shoehorn everything into this choking narrative or whatever the Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless hot take artists want to squeeze in as a one-size-fits-all narrative. No, to actually understand what's going on, we need to have a nuanced discussion of how it happens. And so you see a game like tonight, you remember it can happen in the regular season too. Fortunately, we also have the context of everything else that's gone on this season, and we know that it's happening, as I said, even fewer and farther between in terms of the rare games that it does than ever before. So I'll leave you all with that. Not a banner night for James Harden, but A, he pushed through it, got the 10 points in overtime, led his team to the win, and B, if he has a bad playoff game, Remember that, no, it's not like he's a perfect player in the regular season. These games happen here, too. 
And so when we discuss James Harden, we're going to be able to discuss games like tonight just as much as we do in the playoffs because not everything is about squeezing in into a, or are you trying or not trying in the playoffs. No, James Harden is a very good player. He's a great player. He's not a perfect one. He's got flaws. And tonight, even a guy that's the undisputed MVP frontrunner in the league, he showed them. And let's be honest about what happened. And at, at the same time, let's also be thankful that he pulled himself out and kept pushing on both ends of the floor. And as we said, 10 points in overtime, the big strip of Blake Griffin, and ultimately, all that really matters in the grand scheme, Rockets get the win, improving to 58-14 and 14 on the year. So on that positive note, I will leave off, because, well, there's not too many positive notes other than the win to truly find tonight. So if you made it this far into the podcast, thank you, because I can't imagine watching the game and wanting to hear that much more about it. Hopefully the games this weekend will be a lot more exciting to talk about. So until then... Uh, I'll sign off. If you want more coverage until Saturday night's game, best place to get it is on Twitter. I am at Ben DuBose. The show is at Locked on Rockets. Also, Locked on Rockets at gmail.com. That's our email address. Facebook.com slash Locked on Rockets. That's our Facebook page. And Locked on Rockets.com. That's our website. All places you can reach out to us, email questions about the team, suggestions for the show, inquiries about how to become a potential advertiser, anything we can do to make this a better program, don't hesitate to let us know. Also, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Megaphone. All great places you can subscribe to us, leave us five-star reviews. That's how we've remained viable as the only daily podcast covering the Houston Rockets, the best team in basketball. And also, check out some other shows across this great Lockdown Podcast Network. Robert Land and Brian Patterson do a great job covering the Houston Texans. That's over at Lockdown Texans. They've had a busy free agency getting ready for a draft next month. And even nationally, David Locke, kind of the godfather of this network, hosts Lockdown Jazz, the Utah Jazz radio play-by-play announcer. He got an interview this week, an exclusive, with Adam Silver, NBA commissioner. It's over at Lockdown NBA. That's the national show. So if you want to hear what Adam Silver had to say, then yeah, I strongly encourage you to check out Lockdown NBA. I believe that came out today as well, Thursday afternoon. So once again, the happy final from Toyota Center, Rockets 100, Pistons 96, Pistons fall to 32 and 40 on the year, Rockets 58 and 14, and that will be the last we ever speak of this game. So on that note, uh, enjoy the win, uh, have happy Friday, and we'll be talking again this weekend when the Rockets get back to business with a back-to-back Saturday night against New Orleans and Sunday night against Atlanta. For now, folks, have a good evening, Houston.